This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Jane Jackson. Jane was the first female to earn a PhD in physics at Arizona State University. She loves this area of study. She was taught by David Hestinus and has developed a lifelong friendship with the creator of the ideas behind modeling instruction. After teaching college physics for several years, Jane, in 1994, was asked by Dr. Hestinus to be the project director for his NSF grant for modeling instruction. Now, 27 years later, Jane is still working to help manage the implementation of modeling instruction workshops and degree programs at ASU. Her contributions to the modeling community through the years are numerous and have been very important to the success and development of modeling instruction. Here's my interview with Jane. Hi, Jane. Hi. How are you today? I'm fine. I'm enjoying the rain. It's two and a half oh. inches of rain this past what? evening <laughs> after a, a, more, a drought of more than a year. Uh, that's crazy. Two and a half inches and how long? Uh, since last night. <laughs> wow. Wow. 12 hours. That's something. <laughs> and you're in, uh, in which city in Arizona? Scottsdale. Scottsdale. Yeah. Wow. Well, that must be kind of a nice change yeah, <laughs> from the heat. Thunder and lightning right now, uh, right outside. Yeah. Well, you're warm and cozy and safe inside, so. Yes. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So, hey, I'm excited to talk to you today about your uh, career, your experience, the, the amazing work that you've done with modeling instruction over the years. It's been uh, several years. I um, I want you to kind of go back and and tell us first of all you got into science and you were a teacher. Am I am I right? You were a teacher at South Dakota State U. Yes. Uh huh. And how long were you there? I taught there for eight years, and uh -huh. and uh, the reason I got there in the first place is that. Uh, um, well, it's a long story. Let me start from the beginning. When I was 19, I married my husband, who was an Arizonan. He had, we met in New York City. He had already graduated from Arizona State University. And so he brought me back to Arizona, and I started uh, at a ASU as a sophomore and uh, went all the way to a doctorate in physics because I loved it. I just loved it. I, I just wanted to understand reality, and uh, physical reality is something I thought I was approachable, <laughs> approachable aspect of all of reality. And so, um, in uh, 1970, both of us earned a PhD, and he got a job at teaching English at South Dakota State University. So, we raised our kids, hmm. and after eight years, the I started teaching physics there. And, and, uh, but by 1984, we were both totally disgusted with the poor educational, um, attitudes in, in the South Dakota 
So we came oh. back to Arizona, <laughs> and I worked at full-time at Scottsdale Community College for 10 years. Were you teaching physics? Yes, physics. And uh, when uh -huh. you moved to Arizona? Yes. Okay, at, Scott, yeah. at Scottsdale Community. Scottsdale Community College, right. I taught right. physics okay. there for 10 years and uh, until mm -hmm. 1994 when David Hessness called me and said, Jane, I need your help desperately. I've just been given $4 million by the NSF, and oh. my project director, who was a high school physics teacher, cannot get released. So I need a project director. But it will only, only be part-time. <laughs> 27 yeah. years later, it's, uh, my, my job is uh, <laughs> near full-time. <laughs> now, why yeah, do wow. business? Why David Hessens? When I was a graduate student, just starting my PhD at ASU, he came to ASU. It was his first year of teaching in 1966. And uh, I had him for two courses, and he was one of my favorite physics faculty and uh, statistical mechanics and general relativity theory. But um, so, you know, through the years, I kind of kept up with him a little bit and and that's why in 1994 he felt he felt uh free to call me and say i need your help desperately the grant that he was awarded was for developing uh, modeling instruction concepts yes. or what was your role in helping him with all that well it was a grant to take modeling instruction out to the nation. Of course, he developed it with a local high school physics teacher, Malcolm Wells. And uh, they had a previous small NSF grant for a series of two summer, six-week-long modeling workshops for local teachers to proof of concept mm -hmm. to see if it worked. Well, it did work. And so he got this $4 million grant to... to, uh, to to teach modeling instruction to 200 leading high school physics teachers nationwide uh, over a period of four ye five years. So in 1994, um, he hired me, and he also hired Larry Dukrich, a high school physics teacher. Everybody knows Larry in the modeling community. Um, uh, and yeah. Larry Dukerich took a took a sabbatical, a year long sabbatical from his high school, Dobson High School in Mesa, and he and I shared a little office at ASU, and together we um, put together all the uh, application materials and um, recruitment and everything needed to hold four week long leadership modeling workshops for over three different uh, phases. David Hessness was on sabbatical in England at the time, so Larry and wow. I put together the program. David gave us the, you know, the he wrote up the, uh, the materials and 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 uh, and all the uh, requirements for the teachers. It was very rigorous. It was very well done. Um, David Hessness envisioned it brilliantly. He had every uh, every one of the of of the applicants submit a dissemination plan and a cost-sharing plan for getting technology, computers and, and MBL probes in, their, in mm. their high school. They had to submit all of this. And in return, they got a good stipend, and they got to have two summers, generally, of uh, four- or five-week modeling workshops at uh, about eight different sites nationwide. Wow. Yeah, it was good. So, it was so, really you, good. so you and Larry pretty much 
organized and managed the, all those workshops for the first few years? I, I would say we, we did a great deal. Yeah, mm -hmm. with, with the vision of David Hessness and, and all of his connections among faculty yeah. nationwide. Yeah. So what are you, some of your fond memories from those days, those, those first 10 years, I guess, of the modeling instruction development? Oh, I think working with the, with the colleagues on such an important project. There was not only Larry Dukerich and David Hessness, but there was also Ibrahim Haloon from Lebanon who was wonderful at research. And our, uh, our graduate student, PhD student in statistics, Sharon Osborne Pop, who uh, took care of all the, the data gathering and analysis. So those were the main, the main folks in the project. From afar, Greg Swackhammer worked with, mostly with Larry. Greg was an, an initial modeler, even back in the 1980s, where he, he's from Chicago and he, teaching high school physics there. And he um, actually took a sabbatical in the late 1980s. Oh, wow, that was, yeah, that was, that was that thunder. thunder, oh yeah. It's that really close something. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Greg Starkhammer cool. was, was in uh, Chicago. He and Larry put together the uh, actual content of the modeling workshops, the mechanics content in particular. And Greg led uh, the uh, five-week modeling workshop at University of Illinois in Chicago in 1995 and 1996 for 24 teachers, along with uh, one of the original modelers, Don Yost, from uh, Sacramento, California. And Larry so, Dukerich led the, the, the uh, modeling workshop at, in 1995 and 1996 and 1997 for the 24 teachers at uh, ASU. So the workshops spread not only at ASU, but around the country? Yes. David Hessness arranged for, uh, for workshops in 1997 at University of Akron, Ohio. And also University of Wisconsin at River Falls through his connections. Mm -hmm. And then he uh -huh. also arranged for another phase, phase 2B they called it, at, at, uh, in 1998 and 1999 at the University of Maryland and at the University of California, Davis. That's where your mm -hmm. wife attended. And right, that's right, 1998. <laughs> And yeah. University of Central Florida in Orlando. So, yeah. and then from there, it just continued to grow. That's now, right. David got another grant in 2000 and to, to take it further out to the nation. And for that one, that was another four or five year grant. And for that one, I worked with up to 24 different physics and chemistry faculty around the nation in 18 different states eventually, to uh, hold modeling, local modeling workshops led by some of the 200 teachers who had attended the uh, leadership workshops. Right. So that, that, was, that was my, one of my major jobs was, was working with them. So things are growing. You've got several hundred people now that are modelers in the U.S. And it begins to grow to a point where they're needs to be some more formal structure around it. And I know that somewhere around the mid-early 2000s, AMTA was born. 
And can you tell me a little bit about how all that came about and what that transitional period might have been like from your perspective? Yes, that was uh, that was wonderful. In uh, one of the major purposes of David Hesnus's second grant, which began in 2000, was to institutionalize modeling instruction by a uh, Master of Natural Science degree at ASU. And so, David took a lot of time and effort to formulate this Master of Natural Science degree program and um, got a, a whole lot of teachers nationwide to enroll in it. Mm. And they, they would come to ASU in the summer. They got free tuition. <laughs> that made all the difference. That made it affordable. And, uh, sure. and they took modeling workshops and then uh, more advanced deep content courses in physics and integrated science as well. So, by, by 2005, there was a large contingent of teachers from all over the nation, really leading excellent teachers in our MS degree program. And not just that, but some teachers who took the courses just to become a better teacher, to become a better teacher. Right. And so, right. in the summer of 2005, they got together at one of the local Mexican restaurants and said, we can't let this die. We've got, we're going to start a professional society or professional organization. And they decided to call it the AMTA, American Modeling Teachers Association. And one of them, Patrick Daisley, uh, in eastern Washington, knew how to start a nonprofit. So he went right out and did the paperwork and <laughs> got the AMTA started. And, and, uh, and Colleen McGowan took a leading role and several others. And AMTA was born. I continued to be a volunteer for the AMTA and to work with um, physics and chemistry faculty around the nation to hold local modeling workshops. But it became harder and harder to, for anybody to get a grant um, just because of the federal government's changing policies, unfortunately. And eventually, by 2012, they, uh, the AMTA had enough money to hire Wendy Heyman to, to do a lot of the work that I had done as a volunteer. And thank goodness, because I was overworked by then, by 2012. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you, you were still working with ASU at that yes. time, right? Yes, and I still and, am, yeah. And, yeah. And your role there at ASU has been what? I'm co-director of the ASU Modeling Instruction Program which now okay. uh, we have about 65 to 75 teachers every summer who come to take our modeling workshops and, and our more advanced uh, courses for the MNS degree. Most of the teachers, about 90% of them are from Arizona because out-of-state tuition is way too expensive. And it's, sure. it's, it's bad enough for, for Arizona teachers who are the, among the worst paid in the whole nation. Oh boy. So, so my job you, is mostly working with the Arizona teachers. I keep a state database. I have a state. I manage a state listserv for physics and chemistry teachers. We have expanded to chemistry um, starting in 2000, actually, or 1999. I think it was Larry Dukerich took the lead on that because he's primarily a chemistry teacher. Then, by de popular demand, it extended modeling instruction ex extended to biology. This was around oh, this was around 2010, I think. And now, astronomy and and earth science, 
So that's, it's a great way to teach. So how, tell me how the ASU modeling workshops, summer workshops that you guys host is connected or affiliated or integrated with the AMTA workshops that are promoted. Is it the same thing? You're under the same umbrella or is it kind of a different thing? Well, it's the same umbrella. It's the AMTA uh -huh. is is loosely organized with you know gen certain general guiding principles which we we follow, and and so it's just a loose partnership of, of several universities around the nation, and sure. always looking for more too. Yeah, more, more workshop sites. Yeah. So you, the content in your workshops is no different than workshops that people will find at other places around the country. The yeah, same. that's correct. We might same be more thing. rigorous. We're, in some ways, we're more rigorous because teachers can get graduate credit for our modeling workshops. Ah, so, oh, right. Yeah, okay. So we we add yeah. we add uh, assignments. You know. Yeah. And is it more, um, I know a lot of the workshops, they try to do three weeks. Sometimes they're cut down to two weeks because of the costs involved. But are you guys uh, under that same thing or do you have more extended workshops? We're committed to three weeks. We have found through lots and lots of years of, of evidence that three weeks are a minimum to start to implement modeling instruction. Mm -hmm. um, Two-week workshops are okay if you have some follow-up sessions during the school year, but that's hard to do. It's, it's, and yeah. it's expensive. Yeah. Right. And it's no longer funded by grants like it used to be when you got the first 10 years of your work. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I gave a talk on that issue recently, and, and uh, I'll, I'll send you the URL. The, uh, the, the federal government used to have a very good program 20 years ago called the Eisenhower Math and Science Program. Every state, you know, teachers all over the nation know that every state gets money every year from the U.S. Department of Education and that some of that money must be used for professional development for teachers. It's called Title II. It's been in existence since the 1960s, I believe. And 20 years ago, in that Title II program, some of the money, a small proportion of the money that went to every state by formula, had to be set aside for universities in that state to use for competitive grants for professional development for K-12 science and math teachers. Well, that was wonderful. And part of the program's guidelines was that it was to be used in part for teachers who are out of field. Well, that was wonderful, too, because two-thirds to three-quarters of the physics teachers in the nation don't have a degree in physics. Usually their degree is chemistry or biology or sometimes engineering, sometimes elementary ed. <laughs> and I've even uh -huh. had a case where it was home economics was, uh, was the degree of one of our physics teachers. So, so anyway, it was huh. a boon. It was a wonderful program. And so I helped um, up a couple dozen physics and chemistry faculty around the nation uh, 20 years, 20, 15 to 20 years ago to get grants under this program for local modeling workshops led by teachers who had been in David Hessen's $4 million grant, you know, for leadership workshops. Then No Child Left Behind came along, uh, 
and diluted the program, that, that Eisenhower program, and said, well, it's going to be for all subject matters, and it's going to focus mostly on high-poverty schools. Well, that was not a good idea for physics. It, it, it was a detriment, and fewer and fewer physics faculty were able to get grants because they said, mm. well, we don't qualify. We don't have enough physics teachers in high-poverty schools. So, it got harder and harder, and we locked out because I... I worked to, I extended modeling instruction to physical science, eighth and ninth grade physical science, and, and uh, was, that was broad enough to please our grants people in Arizona that we were tackling enough subjects. <laughs> so they funded us yeah. at a quarter of a million dollars for four years, but then they said, oh, we, we're going to just drop physics and chemistry and we're just going to do math. We need to get our test scores up in Arizona in math. So. We were left out from 2010 on. Since 2010, we have been funded only by I mean, at about $15,000 a year from one of our local utilities, Salt River Project, and another 15000 from various companies like Boeing at first, and then now on Semiconductor for partial tuition scholarships to make it affordable for yeah. teachers. It's been really hard. It's hard, to, it's hard to get money. I have to write grants every year. And corporations don't give much compared to the federal government. Right. So, so my talk, my recent talk this summer that, that you can download is where um, where was this? Office. Where was your talk? Where did you? Uh, it's where? called. I I gave a talk for for Eric Mazur's new NSF grant at Harvard University. It's called POLS T. The Physics of Living Systems Teacher Network. Um, and uh, Eric Mazur, mm. like I say, got this grant last year from the NSF to start this worldwide teacher network for physics, high school physics teachers. And, um, mm -hmm. and so he has an annual conference. This summer's conference was entirely by Zoom. And so yeah. he asked for volunteers to give talks. And I volunteered to give a talk on the funding situation and uh, combined with the need for lifelong professional development uh, of, of teachers. Um, so, I, I detail that. And, and the reason I gave the talk is that Eric Mazur just got elected to a committee in Washington that's supposed to help. <laughs> so, I said, okay, oh. I'm going to give a talk because I, and it's, my talk is for Eric Mazur by giving him enough background so that he can make a difference in Washington over the next four years in his, in his lobbying. We'll get right back to my interview with Jane in just a moment. But first, we want you to know that AMTA is always looking for more ways to connect the modeling community. You'll now find AMTA on Instagram. Find them using at AMTA teachers. Members post pictures of whiteboards and share what's going on in their modeling classrooms. Use hashtag modeling instruction to check it out. And don't forget to visit the AMTA website for news, resources, and information from the modeling community. Now back to our interview with Jane. So tell us a little bit about the talk. So outline it for us so people... Now, I assume you're going to send me links or something that yes. I can share on our website. Yes, and, I will. Uh, but, but give us a little teaser so, you know, help whet people's appetite. 
Well, here's the thing. In 1997, at the third year of our phase one of our leadership modeling workshops, David Hessness gave uh, interactive lectures to the 50 teachers who were there from, in, like I say, in their third summer from both locations, ASU and University of Illinois at Chicago. And in his talk, he, he pointed out that research done by Kay Anders Erickson showed that in any endeavor, it takes many years to become an expert. And you can't become an expert just by doing the job like teaching or chess playing or musician playing violin or whatever. You have to do deliberate practice. You have to uh, focus in on definite skill development. Of course, I had no idea about this research. I had no idea. If I had known that many years of deliberate practice were required, I would have paid much more attention in my own teaching to professional development. It just never occurred to me. Mm. It's not part of mm. our culture. It should be part of our culture. Mm. And it is part of the culture in Singapore. Singapore teachers in, in high school are expected to get 60 to 90 contact hours every year of professional development. Wow. And so David Hessness gave an interactive lecture on the, the research of Kay Anders Erickson showing that profession, lifelong professional development is needed and typically 10 years of deliberate practice. And he said, that's why we have modeling workshops, he told the teachers, is so that to give you a mechanism for a way to do deliberate practice so you don't have to figure it all out by yourself. And so I've thought about this through the years. And of course, that's what we were trying to do all those 10 years well, that's what the AMTA is trying to do. Okay, for yeah. all these years, the deliberate practice. But it's become harder and harder because the federal government is has abandoned teachers' professional development. A recent study by Horizon Research that was funded by the NSF last year showed that teachers are not doing professional development as much these past several years. So, it all fits together. There's, there's cause and effect. It's, it's, uh, it's got to be changed. The federal government has got to get back into the, into the program of supporting professional development of teachers. And that's what my talk is all about. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the links that you send us. And just to remind our listeners, it'll be on the website, sciencemodelingtalks.com. So do you see... Um, what do you think the best chances are in the modeling community to promote these workshops and to be able to make more of them available to more people? Government funding, grants, that kind of thing. What would you suggest are some solutions to help them make that happen? Well, the more communication, urging t uh, modelers to promote modeling instruction actively among their colleagues. Mm. The word of mouth is, is the has always been the, the chief mode of expansion of modeling yeah. instruction. And, and uh, of course, trying to get the federal government back into the program. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what else except uh, more communication and, and, uh, and, and probably increased emphasis on the um, effectiveness of modeling instruction. 
I think it wouldn't hurt to have more people like you in each state that are proponents of <laughs> modeling and going after grants and, and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, too, I think wouldn't yeah. hurt. So. Yeah, yeah, right. I want to ask you about the paper that you were co-authored about the crisis in physics education. And I know the paper was focused on that crisis as it relates to the Arizona school systems. But maybe talk about it as a more of a national thing. What are your observations about physics education in high schools, the, the state of it these days? I start with the PhysTech website, www.phystech.org. They have analyzed the situation nationwide of the sh shortage of high school physics teachers. And, mm -hmm. and what I find is that Arizona is one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst states. Um, nationwide, about 40% of high school kids take physics. In Arizona, only 20%. And... And uh, so I, you know, my job is mostly Arizona, and so I, I, you know, I've kept a database of for more than twenty years of of all the physics teachers in Arizona. There's only a couple, maybe two hundred and fifty total. What I find that's very sad is that since the two thousand and eight economic downturn, the number of schools that don't offer physics has increased. And mm. I mean, these are schools that used to offer physics. And when their physics teacher retires or leaves, the school stops offering physics because they mm. say, oh, well, it, physics is only for the smartest kids. It's only for the kids who are going to become engineers. Well, that's misinformed because in this day and age, Everybody needs physics. Um, I mean, physics, they need modeling instruction type physics because it, that modeling instruction teaches you how to think with evidence. And, uh, and that's absolutely crucial to, for humanity to tackle these huge problems that we face like global warming, hmm. sea level rise, uh, these huge storms that we're getting now these days, you know, these destructive wildfires and and uh, all these other problems that are that are arising because of, of our ignorance and and greed we've got, just got to change as as a civilization you mentioned how uh, high school physics how it's being taught is is getting less and less prevalent across the US in our education systems how a dearth of physics understanding in our students uh, could m lead to a bit of a crisis in the job market for the need for people with a physics background. Let's take Arizona again for another example. The, the federal government is go going to invest a whole lot of money in semiconductors. Well, so one of the chief semiconductor companies Intel is right here in Chandler, just south of Tempe, where ASU is located. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Company is starting a huge plant north of Phoenix. Well, these two companies oh. alone are, are, are going to require a, a tremendous number of technicians as well as engineers. And, of course, their associated companies that provide the materials will, will need technicians and so forth. And, and yet... There's a dearth of, of uh, physics to give people, to give young people the, the foundational knowledge that they need 
to, uh, to, yeah. to, to, to become employed by these companies. That's just one example. You know, I'm sure there's many more. I hadn't really quite thought of it in the way that you did, but the need for STEM folks to address the deep issues of our, our world today, you know, you mentioned uh, climate change and, and all the issues going on with weather and the way population growth is happening and where it's happening and designers and, and engineers are going to be needed for, to address those issues as well. So I, I thought that was very interesting. That. Another area is health health science. Physics is essential mm. to in in all the uh, health science, uh, health careers, and uh, sure. and with all our with our increasing number of older people who have chronic health problems, the the needs mm -hmm. are are expanding and for mm -hmm. uh, for jobs. Humanity has reached the point where we have power to destroy civilization, and we sure are on track with that in regards to uh, putting a whole lot of uh, polluting gases into the, into the atmosphere. And uh, due to our excessive use of coal and, and uh, energy needs, so we've got an energy imbalance, and it's, it's at the interface between physics and chemistry. Um, we know that uh, carbon dioxide, we know, we in physics and chemistry know that carbon dioxide is like a blanket in the atmosphere. And, uh, but the public doesn't know that. The media don't know that. You never, I never hear about it and read about it in the New York Times or other places. I hear about the average temperature increase, but that really doesn't tell us what we need to know. It's, it's, the, um, it's the nighttime uh, temperature the low temperature that matters and and yet we're not seeing things like that simple things like that reported for example outside my house 25 years ago even 15 years ago in summertime uh, the typical low temperature at 6 a.m was about 78 degrees now for the past three to five years the typical uh, low temperature is is uh, is higher by about eight degrees it's 70, uh, 86 degrees little things like that. Uh, extreme weather, we had uh, in the past 14 hours, last night and this morning, in, in 14 hours we had almost three inches of rain in Scottsdale. 50 mile an hour winds, trees are down everywhere. We never had weather like this till just a few years ago. Never, ever. So the importance for uh, education in the sciences is more critical than ever as we need people to invest themselves in discovering solutions. Right. And, and by understanding our, our physical world in, in which we are embedded, we live and move and have our being in this physical planet, by understanding it, we grow to love it more. We grow to be connected more to it. We, we grow to care more about it. Understanding brings that caring that and that commitment to to uh, preserving it and improving it yeah wow <laughs> well jane I, I gotta say and i think i speak for many many people thank you for the years that you've invested in helping people grow in their understanding of education helping people discover modeling instruction and you know we wouldn't be where we are today without the, a lot of the efforts that you've been putting into it for the last 27 years. So 
it's really it's been really great to talk with you and i just want to say thank you and thank you too for caring and doing this as a volunteer effort on your part Oh, it's my pleasure. It's it's a it's a really cool thing to be involved with. And even though I'm not a, a science background person, it's been really awesome for me to get to know people like you and interview uh, you, David Hestinus, Larry Dukerich. You know all the wonderful conversations that I've had uh, from the modeling community people. It's been just great for me. So uh, again, just thank you so much, and I hope you have a great rest of the day. I hope the rain settles down and uh, gives you guys some respite, but also enjoy it. You haven't had it for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's good. Thank you, Jane. Have a great afternoon. Okay, you too. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom. 